I'm Mark. And I'm Kyle. And we, we have, have issues. This is the first episode of our new podcast, We Have Issues. Mark and I are going to be doing this hopefully every week, talking about different issues relevant to the Pikes Peak region, maybe even going beyond that at times. Mark, I'm excited about our first episode here. And with that, um, since we do have kind of a special guest today that we've both known for a long time, why don't you go ahead and introduce him? Well, uh, first of all, Kyle, I got to say, love the name. Huge shout out to your <laughs> wife, Camille, for coming up with knowing both of us, knowing that we do have issues and uh, something that, uh, you know, this is going to be therapy for us, I think, as we uh, engage in this podcast talking about politics. But yeah, we had kind of sat down and talked about who do we want to have on this show first? Who is the right person uh, for us to introduce? And I could think of nobody better than my mentor, one of my favorite people uh, in this world, but we couldn't get him. So instead we got uh, Bob Gardner. And let me tell you, Bob is the guy uh, uh, served with him in the state legislature. And one of the things I love to say about Bob is uh, this guy can say nothing for 15 minutes more eloquently than anybody I know, which makes him perfect for this podcast. <laughs> you know, you can call me Senator from here on out. Kyle, it's okay <laughs> to call me Bob. All my friends call me Bob. Uh, you know, and and since you're a lobbyist now, Mark, uh, I, I take everything you say um, as being because you got paid to say that. So, <laughs> well, but I will say this. This is appropriately named. I thought I was here having known both of you for a long time, to talk about your issues. That's not what we're doing here this evening? Well, you know, maybe a we're, little bit A, a little bit we of B. May, we you definitely know, might have some issues. Right. We, things we both have issues with may come up today. All so. right. Well, I, you know, and, I, I have some issues with you. but Well, and, and, and by the way, I am a lobbyist. I just wanted to let you know you look like you've lost a little bit of weight. Uh, is that, you know, and, and, and <laughs> incredibly funny, too. Yeah, I know. I know. So. Well, and the fact... And younger. And younger. And yes. Bob, you also cover a lot of bases here. You state senator, also an attorney. So there's lots of issues we might be asking you about to help us with here today. So okay, well that's good. I'll <laughs> talk about the United States Supreme Court and the end of their uh, uh, their term, which has been really interesting. But that's that's another set of issues. Actually, can you please not do that? We'd prefer <laughs> to have people tune in and listen, okay, a, end, as opposed to just using this as a sleep aid. The the end of their term or the end of their legitimacy. Oh, sorry. <laughs> so, okay. Well, why am I here? Well, <laughs> why I mean, did you call me here? We, we we know that the legislative session just ended. Uh, a, a lot going on, and and I think a lot of people thought that this was probably going to be one of the worst sessions in the history of the legislature, just given the disparity between the number of Democrats in the legislature, and number of Republicans. I mean, what? There's a, a super majority for Democrats in the state house. Um, there's a five or six seat majority for Democrats in the state Senate. And obviously, Governor Polis is is a Democrat as well. And so we just kind of wanted to get your um, your take on, on how this session turned out. Was it as bad as you expected? Was it a little bit better? Um, what uh, you know, how do you feel that this ended up? Uh, a whole lot worse than I expected, to be quite honest with you, uh, but not as bad as uh, I thought it was going to be as as it uh, went along. Uh, what do I mean by that? Well, um, we went into a session where uh, in the House, the Democrats have a two-thirds majority. Uh, they're 40... I mean, they mm, didn't kick any Republicans out this year, and they could do that, right? Yeah. So we got to count that a victory. Well, I true, guess there's that. True. 49, uh, uh, or 46-19, I'm sorry. 46 Ds, 19 Rs. Uh, and then... Uh, uh, 23 Democrats in the Senate, 12 Republicans. We uh, have just enough votes to deprive them of a two-thirds majority in the Senate, which is a big, big deal. Uh, it would be a wholly different world if they had us down to 11 because of the things that have to pass on two-thirds vote, things that are re referred to the the. Uh, the ballot to go on in the constitution. So that's a, that's a big deal. Uh, I've served, uh, as people get tired of hearing 15 sessions now, and we always say at the end, Hey, this was the worst session ever. This was the toughest, toughest session I I've had, uh, the amount of work, uh, we met on a Sunday, 
uh, in the Senate. For us, that was the first time since 1930-something. 84 was, years, I think, yeah. yeah. Yeah, since before I was born. So um, that uh, that really is an indicator of how tough it was. It was worse in the House, I think. Um, the progressive liberal wing in, in the House, uh, Democrats, is even more progressively liberal than in the Senate. Um, I, with respect, I will say that uh, House Republicans had a group of folks that believed that talking and talking and talking and talking was the right approach. Um, some of them said, well, they wanted to be like Bob. Um, but there didn't seem to be much end game there. And so it was a little frustrating at times uh, because when I talk all of that time saying things eloquently, but nothing at all, there really is an end game uh, to uh, driving the calendar uh, over and making things that much more difficult for the other side. That's the way the system works. Well, and, and the idea is there's a 120 day legislative session and, and it ends regardless of whether you're done or not. You know, whether the last bill is passed or not, it ends at midnight on the 120th day. So there is some advantage to, to taking a lot of time to talk. Yeah. And we went to 1030 p.m. this uh, this year in the in the Senate. I think the House was still at it and at it at it to nearly the bitter end. But uh, we left them and went home. So yeah. what are there any particular issues that kind of rise to the top for you in this session that you're most concerned about or um, what were you, do you feel like you were able to accomplish that maybe you're most proud of? Maybe both of those. Uh, so issues um, that I was most concerned about um, for me personally, because I'm a lawyer, because I've served on the judiciary committee for all of my sessions, it was about public safety and criminal justice issues. Um, we had a bill of which I was a, a co-prime sponsor with uh, Democrat uh, Senator Rachel Zenzinger from Arvada uh, to, as I like to say, uh, tongue in cheek a little bit, um, make car theft a crime again in Colorado. Um, and then we uh, we had some other bills. Uh, maybe we can get into to the the way those bills went through. Um, the thing about the car theft bill was that we were uh, fixing something in Colorado law that really was kind of a wrongheaded thing that's been around for at least 40 years. Everybody thinks this is a recent problem of the way our statute is. Our statute uh, for car theft in Colorado had been value-based for many, many years. So if you stole a, a, a $2,000 or a $1,000 a uh, car from a poor person, that was a misdemeanor, a uh, high-level misdemeanor. And based on the value, right? But based yeah. on the value. And if you stole a $60,000 car from uh, someone who had two more cars sitting in their driveway, that was a major felony. And again, it wasn't anything that had been done recently. That just had always been the case. Um, with really an increase in th car theft that makes us number one. We always want to be number one for something. Well, this wasn't it, but we are. Uh, in all the country, Colorado is number one in car theft. Um, everyone began to look at that statute and say, what is wrong here? Well, what is wrong here is that um, car thieves are back out on the street on the same shift that they're being picked up. And that really didn't have a lot to do with the statute, to be honest with you. Um, but it, there is something inherently wrong with um, the fact that you could steal a car from a, uh, a person working for hourly wage. It was their only way to work. It was their only way to get their kids to school. And that would be a misdemeanor. And I could steal a car from a wealthy person uh, who had two more in the driveway. And that was a very high level felony. So, so now stealing anyone's vehicle, anyone's means of transportation is a felony. And, and the aggravators are about um, doing damage to the car, uh, stealing the car for other crimes and so forth. And it goes from a, 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 the lowest level felony up to not quite the highest felony, but, but the, the highest of property theft felonies. No, go ahead. Uh, well, oh. let, let me before before you go. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. But oh, yeah. <laughs> not really. But um, you're exercising this whole saying nothing so eloquently for 15 minutes. Thing, Please continue. The thing that was was really troubling to many of us was 
how difficult it was to get that bill done. There were votes on the other side of the aisle against it. There were people who did not want to vote for it. Um, there was broad agreement, of course, uh, uh, 12 Republican votes for it. I had someone say, well, I don't know if we can get this we can get this passed. And I said, well, I've got 12 Republican votes. You can't get me six Democrat votes in the Senate. Uh, and and we ultimately, of course, did. But there were people who didn't want that to happen on the progressive liberal side. So uh, that that's the frustration and what we saw this year. So with a bill like that, when does it go into effect? Uh, immediately upon the signature of the governor? Is there timing? And if it's already in effect, I thought I read something the other day where car thefts are already starting to drop some in the state. Is that correct? Well, that's correct. And I don't know that you can uh, attribute it to the legislation. Uh, the legislation had what we call a safety clause in it. Every, every bill in Colorado, by default, has a petition clause in it that gives the people a right to petition uh, the matter before the voters, uh, unless it has what is called a safety clause in which there is a declaration by the General Assembly that uh, public health, safety, and welfare are at stake. And that gets used rather loosely, and it's really up to the conscience of, of legislators themselves. But I think there's no doubt that the safety clause was appropriate here, and that bill is already uh, uh, signed by the governor, I believe. Uh, actually, I take that back may not have been signed yet, not because he disagrees with it, because he specifically asked for the bill to be passed as well. It just may not have happened because they haven't had the signing ceremony. Oh. And I I don't, uh, I, I could look it up here, but yeah. I think it, it goes into effect fairly immediately um, and uh, will, uh, I, we believe, make a difference. It's only one piece of the puzzle there, though. Well, and I think this is one of those issues. It seems to me that if the governor send in the signal that, hey, we want this to happen, the legislature send in the signal that we want this to happen, then I guess to your earlier point, I think you were talking about one of the issues being, you know, these guys steal this stuff. It's a misdemeanor. It's catch and release. They end up back on the street. You know, they get arrested at nine o'clock in the morning. They're back on the street stealing another car by noon or one o'clock in the afternoon. And maybe this kind of piece of legislation or the understanding by prosecutors that this kind of legislation is coming forward gives them less pause to just uh, catch and release these people. Well, and and I think it sends a message to our, our judges as well sure. that um, who, who have a great deal of discretion about what bond they set. But um, the reality is that they read the newspaper like everyone else and they begin to get a get a grip on on this. And this is not, uh, low bond has not been particularly a problem in El Paso County, but um, around the state, I think there have been judges that um, operate on this presumption that the jails are full and, and uh, uh, personal recognizance bond is appropriate. You know, some of this, uh, to be honest, has been a result of the pandemic and the reality mm -hmm. of a lot of uh, fairly serious offenders were uh, put out on the street because of the uh, the COVID risk. And they got this culture um, that, that there were no consequences. Um, maybe for another day and another time to talk about an issue is um, the, the culture of crime. And, and when I say tongue in cheek, we're going to make a car theft, a crime in Colorado again. I I really do mean that in the in the sense of uh, everyone realizing it's a serious crime and you're not gonna you're going away. You know the city of Aurora did an interesting thing. They uh, they have limited jurisdiction as a municipality, but they passed a city ordinance uh, prohibiting uh, car theft. Um, and why is that worse? They have a mandatory 60 days jail that goes with that, which is more than one might see on a first time um, car theft well, elsewhere. So, I mean, it's kind of an interesting uh, yeah. approach for a municipality to take. I admire that. Yeah. Well, I, I can tell you as an old prosecutor, without a doubt, you know, there's there are very few people that are going to go to jail on a first time misdemeanor. So there really isn't a whole lot of penalty there. But what, you, one of the things you said, you, you know, the governor wanted this. This seems to me like this is good policy for the people of the state of Colorado. But you also said it was the worst session 
ever uh, in the history of sessions. I want to kind of tease that out a little bit. Now, I get why you might say it's the worst session. You know, a bunch of old guys not wanting to work on Sunday. That's kind of an issue. <laughs> but but from a I was policy, happy to be there on Sunday. You're happy to be there on, on Saturday or Sunday. I loved it. But but from a policy perspective, it seems to me, and you know, I had a bit of a, a front row seat to hit to to this session happening. It seems to me it could have been a lot worse. Um, like a lot worse. And in fact, you know, the governor um, certainly didn't get all, all he wanted, which is just unbelievable to me, controlling the uh, Senate and the House. Governor doesn't get to pass his marquee legislation of the year. It could have been a lot worse, right? Well, I, yeah, it could have been a lot worse. And when you when you asked me about uh, what kind of a session it was, I, I really was kind of responding uh, about it from a personal standpoint of it was the most difficult. Uh, Just uh, grueling. Yeah, yeah, grueling for uh, for me and for my my uh, Republican colleagues in the Senate. Um, but I think I think you're right. Um, it's it's been acknowledged by others uh, that we we pretty much punched above our weight in getting things uh, killed. Um, the the governor's land use bill. Yeah, two thirteen. This is one we want to talk about. Two thirteen. Um, you know that ultimately dies after. By the way, hours just insider baseball stuff. Hours on the afternoon. I'm trying to remember whether we're it's it's like Sunday, um, maybe even Monday. We ended on a Monday this year. We we recess off the floor of the Senate. And Republicans uh, are sitting around. Um, I, I wish I'd known how long we were going to be done. I were on some personal errands, going to pack my stuff. Uh, <laughs> it was literally about five or six hours that the Democrat leadership and the governor were in everybody's office trying to save 213. It wasn't salvageable. They didn't have the votes. Um, and, and it's an interesting thing because it was a bill that wasn't particularly uh, Republican or Democrat. For for our listeners, 213 was a land use bill that would have been a really literally a state takeover of of zoning. Uh, even in your um, your homeowners association, um, where if your homeowners association says you can't build a mother in law, uh, as most of them do, you can't build the mother in law suite on the back of your lot. It would have said it doesn't matter. It is the policy of the state of Colorado that those things aren't enforceable. Hey, hey, listen, I had a plan all in place. I live on five acres. Uh, I was going to put up a bunch of tiny homes. I was going to say uh, could... on my acreage and just call it Wallerville. And, I thought that nice. would have been perfect. And, and you know, that would have been under two thirteen. That would have been perfectly. You could have like ten mother-in-law. Yeah, I, mean, I could have as many as you want. And and you know what? Never would have had to pay one road impact fee as a result of that. Never would have had to pay one fee related to kids going to school uh, as a result of that. It would have been uh, basically allowed me to engage in the subdivision process without um, without having to go through any of the red tape to do it or any of the costs associated with doing it. Yeah. So the interesting thing is to kill that bill or to prevent it, prevent it from going forward. In the Senate, we needed six Democrat votes. And these people don't want, don't want it publicly known who they are. I don't blame them. Uh, and some of them may stand up and say- You can probably say it here in El Paso yeah, County. Yeah, I could probably it? say it. Um, <laughs> but they're not on record, by the way. None of yeah. them are on record. They just told their leadership, I'm not and will not, cannot vote for this. People who were running for um, city council or mayor, there were people that were doing that. Uh, people who had been on on councils that, that had a lot of affinity for- being a local elected official and understood that, said, this just isn't so. You know, the interesting thing about the bill, I, I talked to the Colorado Municipal League uh, like maybe a month or so into the session, uh, you know, one of these go to their lunch and be on the panel. And um, a, a lady from one of the uh, mountain resort communities uh, who was on their council stood up and uh really gave me a whole earful about, uh, and it didn't even have a number, but what was going to be 213 and uh, and how wrong it was. And I was like, loving that. And I <laughs> I, I said to her, you know, uh, uh, you know, council member, uh, I'm from El Paso County, Colorado Springs. I bet you and I, I mean, she was from Vail Aspen or you, you name it. Um, I said, 
you and I probably don't agree on much of anything, <laughs> but one thing we do agree on is we know what's best for our own communities. And I don't imagine you go to any uh, council meeting that you don't have fights over land use and development and what's your community going to look like. Uh, and neither do we. Um, and it may not turn out the way I want it to turn out, but you know, it'll be our, our community's decision um, and, and not Governor Polis's. And you know, I nearly got I nearly got a, a standing ovation. I got a big clap. And, and it, so it's always a puzzle to me about the governor's choice of that issue and how he went at it. Well, yeah. it, you know, I, I mean, I think that he's trying to solve a problem and a real problem, sure. right? I mean, we absolutely we have an yeah. affordable housing crisis here in Colorado. It's no secret. Everybody just got their property tax valuations, which, by the way, I heard you're the one responsible for those. Is that no? I'm kidding. No, no, I'm not <laughs> against that. Not I that guy. against that, my friend. Um, but, but I mean, we do. We, I mean, we seriously have a real issue with affordable housing in the state of Colorado. But you and I know that's not the way to solve the problem, right? I mean, construction defects. Um, this whole going to statewide zoning last year, uh, what you know, created a, a greater cost for for housing in the state of Colorado. And yeah, I mean, shoot, we've been yeah. trying to solve construction defects for I don't yeah. know, 15, 20 over, years. Over twenty years. So, so to go back to to Kyle's uh, question about things and issues and all, and, and things that struck me, uh, one of the things that uh, really struck me about the affordable housing problem and everything is we had a lot of bills. We had a bill for rent control that ultimately died. Something that, again, I I, I think we along with some. Uh, uh, reasonable Democrats who actually have been in business or held a job or been a landlord uh, had a grip on that, you know, you don't produce more housing by controlling uh, how much one can collect for it. Uh, we had a just cause for evictions that um, was going to require uh, a landlord to give 90 days notice before the end of a lease if they weren't going to renew it. You know, Everybody, everybody would think, well, when my lease is up, my lease is up. They were going to impose restrictions on even uh, removing someone or ending a lease itself. Um, just complete um, lack of, of what economics is like, what, is, what the supply and demand is. There's a real problem uh, of affordable housing. There, there are real problems about a lot of things. And I... I I, I guess I'll be completely political here. I usually say uh, I don't want to be too political. I'll be very political here. There, there are two distinct views uh, of the world operating in the state legislature and probably nationally. And and one is um, that uh, capitalism is is bad. Um, that that the profit motive is bad. That the way we do things and solve problems is by more government intervention, more government intervention, um, rather than the other view, which is um, people do things because they benefit them. They're not bad people. We all do that. Um, I invest my money where I can make money. And if it means I can do it on rental property, then I'm going to invest in rental property and I'm going to have more rental property. Um, that struck me and, and, uh, always has a bit, but that that was really stark this year. The the different views of of the world and economics. But I, I thought what was most remarkable about this, or the thing to think about most, it wasn't the fact that this bill didn't pass. It was this was the governor's signature bill. The thing that he wanted to do most in this legislative session was tackle this affordable housing issue. The prime sponsors of the bill were the Senate Majority Leader, mm -hmm. if I remember correctly, yes. maybe even the Senate President. I don't... The Senate Majority Leader. Senate Majority Leader, and yet this bill dies in the Senate. I mean, that's got to tell you something. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, all the way around, I, I think you hit it. A lot of those people, like you said, had held those offices previously on the local level. And if you have the understanding that especially a home rule city should be allowed to make those decisions for themselves, I... I think that's it. And Polis has never been a, I don't think he was ever on the Boulder city council. No, no, <laughs> not at all. Yeah, nor, no, he, nor has he had great relationships with the legislature. Uh, I mean, yeah. I think that they've always viewed him as some sort of outsider. Yeah. 
Yeah, it, it, it's interesting. You know, he because, didn't come up through the ranks. Yeah. It, it's interesting because on the one hand, I think through the pandemic, um, the Democrat majorities in the legislature particularly yielded to him a lot more than we as a branch ought to do. And one of the things um, that I would have conversations during those times with with my Democrat colleagues was like, don't you just as a branch want to push back on the executive power here that's being uh, that's being wielded? And it's like, no, no, everything's good. Um, and again, that, that was troubling because I can tell you when Bill Owens was governor, the Republicans in the General Assembly pushed back all the time. Um, but then more recently, um, the, the governor has had these things that have been his, um, uh, you know, kind of his uh, flag issues. And uh, members of the General Assembly have, have been, uh, uh, you know, in, a, in opposition. Um, I, his calling for the passage of the vehicle theft bill uh, really irritated some of the members of his party. Uh, and it carried over into some of our criminal justice issues later. Uh, um, as, as Mark knows, the uh, 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 Colorado Criminal and Juvenile Justice Commission uh, was not reauthorized this year. Um, a lot of that happened because uh, Democrats were angry. Uh, you know, progressive Democrats were angry about the, the vehicle theft bill. Uh, about some of the other things that uh, that the governor had uh, had endorsed, uh, I won't say who, but a member of Democrat leadership. Uh, oh come we, on, we're on this podcast to no, no, no. name like, names and call I, people just gonna, out, right, Kyle? Yeah, like, well, oh, come maybe on. So. But I, I, you know, I got to go back can, and work can we one. guess? You you have to go back and I have to can go back. Can we guess? Hmm? Can we just guess? You can guess, but um, <laughs> this particular this particular member of Democrat leadership and I were having a heated, Dominic Moreno. No, I'm no, kidding. I don't. You Go know, ahead, I'm, I'm kidding. I was having a heated discussion uh, about CCJJ and what some things I'd done there, and you know, insider baseball stuff. And I said, I said, you know, you 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 want this to pass, and I said, you know. The governor wants this to pass. Your governor wants this to pass. And, and that was true. He he yeah. was sending the message. Oh. And I said, how, I'm going to tell you, how the, did I end up carrying the governor's water? And this person said to me, you know, Bob, you might not want to be carrying his water these days. They didn't work so well. <laughs> <laughs> I was like... Okay, and of course th that highlights the fact that we we had had some pretty terse words with each other afterwards, and we ended with a we ended with a towel snap and a joke uh, about uh, about the ironies of the situation. So you know, not everything every day, as tough as it is, is is everybody fighting with each other all the time, or not not being uh, um, I, I don't know personally agreeable or having good relationships because that is something that the public doesn't see. So part of what we were talking about here, the reason we're talking about some of the issues and the session being difficult is the broad disparity between Democrats and Republicans in the House and the Senate. And over the last few cycles, it's gotten wider. What, what do you think has to happen for the Republicans to start to get back closer to even or a majority in one of the houses, you know, one of the chambers. Um, yeah. Just what do you see well, as might be needed or is there it, nothing? I was just going to say, before you get to that, uh, Kyle's being very polite here. I love the way you're talking about, well, you know, maybe for Republicans. <laughs> how do you, you want to okay. say this, Mark? Here, here's, here's the question, uh, Senator, because I understand that that's that's uh, you can call me Bob. Oh, okay, well, thank you. I appreciate it so much. No, but 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 I mean, here's what it comes down to, and and believe me, I'm 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 in the group too, right? Um, Republicans suck in the state of Colorado, and maybe even nationally right now. I mean, we can't get out of our own way. Um, we keep losing, and you know, we see these, you know, like purity letters coming from the El Paso County party chair. We see that the. Um, uh, the state party, for example, couldn't even pay its bills in April because uh, fundraising is so poorly. We've seen so many more more people become unaffiliated voters and leave the parties and yet and leave both parties, by the way. And yet somehow we as Republicans 
and by we, I mean Bob and I, you don't have to own that, uh, <laughs> Kyle, in any way. But, um, you know, but, 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 but it seems to me a large part of the problem has been this. It's, you know, maybe the Democrats are doing better than us, but it's mostly we have not done ourselves any favors. Well, I, I think that's right. And um, let me make an announcement here um, before I say all this so people can save their uh, save their ire. Well, it probably won't change their ire, but um, they can save their powder for something else. I, I don't plan to run for anything else uh, the rest of my life. I'm not, I'm not saying never. So uh, you're saying there's a chance. Well, what I'm saying is, what I'm saying is you know, um, I, I'm older than you, Mark. I'm old enough to... By a lot. Yeah, by, by, <laughs> by enough that I, you know, if I'd have been really lucky young, I could be your father. But uh, <laughs> um, I don't even know what to say to that, Kyle. I don't know. I just don't even know what to say that's to that. Great. I'm, that's, just, I'm I, just trying to do I math just, in my head right now. That's all. <laughs> okay. well, you know, um, the thing about it is I need, before I can run for what I really want to be as president, I'll have to be a 10 years older than I am. So, so <laughs> you got a little time. In I got there. a little time. Yeah. Here. So let me be really candid. Um, we did poorly in Colorado, uh, at the core this last year because of Donald Trump and because of abortion. And you can you can love Donald Trump. You can be as pro-life as you want to be. Doesn't mean you're wrong. It doesn't mean I necessarily disagree with you. I'm just talking about the reality of the electorate. And if you look, despite all of the uh, 2020 election, um, you know, Tina Peters and everything in the world, forget it. Um, Donald Trump did about 10 points worse than local Republican candidates. That wasn't because uh, votes were stolen anywhere. That wasn't because uh, of anything other than um, there are a large number of voters that aren't Trump supporters. Um, they don't like the guy. There are people who love him. Mm -hmm. He's never dropped below, I don't know, and, and all the time he was president, he never dropped below 40%. He never was above 40% either, yeah. ever, on any given day. I mean, it's a, it's a polarizing thing. And as my friend, uh, Senator Paul Lundin says, uh, you know, politics is a business of addition, not subtraction. <laughs> and you got to figure out how to add people. Now, the, uh, the abortion issue, again, you can be as pro-life as, as you like. And by the way, uh, if you live in Colorado, you live in the most pro-choice state in America. Um, that, uh, that Democrat majority has seen to it that uh, a woman can have an abortion almost at any age that she could become pregnant without consulting her parents. And uh, even saying her is somehow politically correct, uh, incorrect here. Uh, I mean, we don't talk about pregnant women. We talk about uh, Persons who are pregnant. I mean, the the things are just pretty. Uh, <laughs> well, and, and, uh, anyway, let, let let me not digress. Um, you know, Kimberly Strassel, who writes for the Wall Street Journal, did a piece two or three weeks ago and said, "What are you going to do about the abortion issue, uh, Republicans?" Because, uh, and she's a very conservative journalist, but she she kind of makes the point. Look. Um, yes, there are dedicated absolutist pro-life uh, people out there who are going to vote for you. There aren't enough of them. Yeah. And there are dedicated, uh, ardent pro-choice people out there. Um, and there aren't that many of them. But as between, for the people in the middle, as between which way are they going to go, they fall to that pro-choice side. Uh, if you go out and you talk to them on the street and say, well, yeah, I think you ought to be able to get an abortion on the day before delivery, they would say. Which you can do in Colorado, yes, right? you can do you it in Colorado. You can get an abortion the day before natural delivery. Uh, the day of natural delivery, if you read the statute, mm -hmm. literally as it is, uh, they would say, heavens no, that's terrible. But the 
unwillingness, by the way, on both sides of this issue to compromise anywhere in between uh, in any reasonable way, as long as that exists, it will um, cost us votes. Because I think as much as we uh, try to reach uh, suburban women, let's, let's face it, that's, uh, that's a major voting group. Um, they're just not comfortable with the Republican Party, what they perceive as an absolutist uh, pro-life position that um, they think doesn't work for for a lot of situations. But but there are also those in control in the Republican Party in Colorado that are making it absolutist. I mean, we just got a letter, I don't know what, a week, a week and a half ago from the El Paso County Republican Party chair that says, listen, if you're not absolutist in your views, if you don't agree exactly the way I do, and I'm paraphrasing here, but it effectively says, if you don't agree exactly the way I do, get out of the party, leave, go somewhere else. And and to your point earlier, this is about addition, not subtraction. Exactly. So you use the term in game talking about something else. That's what I look at is in a two party system, if you're falling behind you would think the logical thing would be to adjust some of those positions that might pull people back into the party. I was one of the people three years ago, I went from Republican to unaffiliated. And it, it seems to me like a rational thought would be, how do we pull more people in by moderating the views? I mean, that's the two-party well, system. Well, but, but the answer to that from those folks who send those letters, um, there's a, I, and I have to ask myself every day, do they really believe this? There's a belief that if Republicans were true enough and pure enough in our views, there's a whole group of people out there that would that would rise to the occasion and rally around us and rally around us in such a way that we would win with astounding numbers. I don't believe that. Because yeah. well, I, I haven't found those people. Yeah. All right. If I could pull out there and find them, I, I, I'm in I'm in politics. It's I would try to add them to the, the group. That yeah. idea is horseshit. I mean, it just plain and simply is horseshit. That, that is not going to work. If, if you try to model something on getting everybody to to vote in an election and that being enough, you're never going to get there. I mean, we, we have data from the most recent election in Colorado Springs, the Colorado Springs mayoral election. I'm looking at it right here in 2011. 52% of the people that voted in the Springs mayoral election, uh, almost 53%, were Republicans. Translate that to today, 2023. Only 37% of the people that voted in this election were Republicans. And I would hope that you have people that are in control of the party that are trying to run the sit back saying, looking at this data and saying, why is that the case? And and the answer they would give you, this is not Bob's answer, but the answer they would give you is because the Republican Party hasn't stood for what its platform is all about. And if they would, you know, if their elected officials would quit being compromising rhinos and be true and pure to the things that Republicans believe, those numbers wouldn't have dropped. That's what they would say to you, Mark. Which, again, is horseshit. I mean, it, golly. <laughs> okay. It just yeah. um, That's going to be the new motto. And see, you know, when I, whenever I get called a rhino, I'm going to call those people horseshit. Um, I, it uh, seems turnabout's fair play, right? I mean, I, I think well, that'll work. Well, um, you know, one of, one of my, uh, uh, one of my uh, uh, fun things, though, by the way, is uh, uh, at the General Assembly, uh, there is this split in the Democratic Party, but they somehow managed to figure it out. Um, but there is a lot of between their very progressive liberals and and their more I I I, I gag when I say moderate Democrat, but but more centrist. <laughs> um, there there are these fights, and I, I have said to some of my friends that uh, that are more centrist, I said, well, you know, you're just a dino. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, you, know, it, you don't truly you don't truly believe what they believe, do you? You're just a dino. And and, and, and to be clear, I, I mean, I think they're on the same destructive path that Republicans are on. We're just five years ahead of them. Uh, that and, could, and, and, and we've had the Trump accelerator. Well, yeah. and, and I think, uh, look, I don't know whether the answer is uh, Ron DeSantis or Rick Scott or Nikki Haley. 
Um, it seems to me we got some good options, some yeah. really great options out there that all aren't them, 112 years old them, and you yeah. know, might be able to speak to a broader audience. <laughs> yes, who True. all of whom can beat an 80-year-old senile man. <laughs> I, I I mean, that's just let's. Well, I mean, here's the problem. I, I think you might want to qualify that, Bob. They could beat an 80-year-old senile man in a general election, but maybe have a hard time getting past the 80-year-old senile man in the primary. Well, I, you know. And and therein is therein is the issue for us. Um, there are, to this to this moment, there are people out there that believe uh, Donald Trump is the answer and the only answer. Um, look, I particularly this time of year, I wake up every day to see what the United States Supreme Court has announced for decisions, and I have said thank God for Donald J. Trump because his court appointments. Are are doing things to uh, progressive liberals that are just, you know, it's just fun to watch. They they just they're, they're apoplectic, but they are things that we have talked about for years. Um, things that we have have really fought for for years. Um, and by the way, they are not uh, they the United States Supreme Court are are not completely divided themselves. They have had some nine zero decisions on some things. Uh, the past couple of weeks that there's broad well, agreement out there about. Um, so some things are, are happening because of Donald Trump and Trump policies. He's just not a good messenger. Well, and, and, and to be clear, you know, uh, first of all, one termer, three uh, Supreme Court appointments, unheard of, right? Yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I think in Bill Clinton's eight years, he had one. Yeah. Um, so, so that is unheard of. And I think it's been a great thing. And, and I was kind of made a joke earlier about him being senile, We'll hear about that, I'm sure, online as the podcast goes up. I don't believe he's senile, but but I still think that um, he's certainly destructive in his own way. Uh, I I firmly believe that. I, I mean, I've said numerous times, I don't think the uh, election was stolen. I don't think Donald Trump thinks the election was stolen either. He was just trying to figure out how to stay in power. Yeah. And, and I have no doubt that if he had won, he'd be trying to figure out how to get a third term right now. No doubt in my mind. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So- um, so where do we go from here? I mean, what do we do? How do we get this back to some sense of normalcy? Well, I again, I'm not in the party anymore. Well, so how do I don't we know bring you back? You can vote Kyle. in my primary. How do we well, bring you back? You can vote in the primary. You can vote. In the I know. I know. Oh. And I invite you to do so. <laughs> I, <laughs> I ended up for that too. Ever since I've, I've voted in every Republican primary, because in this county, there's the Democratic primary hardly ever has a competitive primary, so. You vote in the Republican primary because there's choices. The so bringing me back. You're the into problem, the Republican by the Party. Way. I am the problem. The uh, Did, didn't you hear that we have issues? That's the. <laughs> yeah. uh, that's think, the name of the podcast. I think for me, it's it was absolutely Trump was the reason I left the party. The extremeness of his character, his positions, his speeches, whatever it was. Um, I think he's, I think he's a criminal and I really, it just, I just lost hope with him being the person in charge of the party that, you know, you think back to go back to Reagan. A lot of people like to go back there. I've been a Republican first presidential campaign I could ever vote in was 1980 voted for Reagan. I was 19 years old. It, you look at the Republican Party back then, the idea of smaller government, especially at the federal level, um, the, you know, free market economy, capitalism, all those things that they, that the party really stood for. And uh, you start to look at, even with Trump, even some with Bush Jr., the second Bush, the we like to call him Debbie. The federal deficit under Trump exploded way beyond anything that a Democratic president has ever led. So the whole idea of smaller government, all of that, completely gone with Trump. I mean, that that up until the most recent fight over the, the budget, the debt limit that we just saw in the last week or so, Republicans haven't talked about cutting spending or controlling the federal deficit at the federal level in 20 years. Well, and and, and sure. so it the party isn't it's not the party I was in before. And for me at that point it was become unaffiliated. 
Well, well and, 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 and I, I, I thank you for not becoming a Democrat because they they too have a criminal and they're exploiting <laughs> the deficit. Well, and, uh, but I, th- I think the difference is this, you know, um, in Trump's term, his one term, the, the debt limit got raised three times. Yeah, by and, the guys and, that just fought that's right. this time. That's right. And, and I certainly agree um, that it, we do need to fight that, right? It, um, we need to cut spending at some point because that's going to be the true destruction of the country is destruction of the economy. Um, but but you can't you can't on your watch pass it yeah. uncontrollably without any sort of worry or concern, but then say, well, now that we're on the other guy's watch, you absolutely need to let us go into default. It's the yeah. hypocrisy of it. Yeah, yes. that's yeah. right. That's right. Yeah. 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 So what are your other issues? <laughs> How do you feel about that? How do you feel about that? Well, I, I guess one of the questions, be, you know, that Bob's our, Bob's our guest therapist today. That's right. <laughs> How does that make you feel? Crazy. That's well, for sure. it is frustrating. Yeah. I, I don't know what the answer is short of, again, are there some states that are starting to moderate their position on abortion? To where it's something that might be more of a compromise. Um, no. Yeah. Well, so I, I mean, again, you're gonna I until until some of that stuff starts to happen, I don't know that and and yeah, I mean, there's some there's some other candidates out there on the Republican side that are that would have the ability to pull people back into the party, but they can't get any oxygen. Well, here's you, you know, I I uh, saw over the weekend, there's a, a group out there that's trying to um, nominate some, uh, uh, like a, a Republican president, uh, run them as unaffiliated, but, you know, somebody who's identified as a Republican as president and somebody who's identified as a Democrat as vice president, run them as unaffiliated, just in case we end up with a Trump, um, a Trump Biden run yeah. again. And I thought, boy, if, if, as you know, Bob knows, uh, the if national popular vote had been further along and, and actually that compact had passed, um, where all it takes is a, a majority of the vote to get those 270 electoral votes, a majority of the nationwide vote, then you might have a circumstance where a third party can actually win a big office like this, which would then force the um, the two major parties to come a little bit Back more to, I don't even back want to say to the middle, but back to normalcy. Yeah, yeah. You, you touch on a, uh, an issue um, that, that... And by the way, it's Pikes Peak related. Yeah. 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 No, a, I, I think it is in the sense of, uh, and it's nationally related, um, about what what is the role of political parties um, in the 21st century? Um, a lot of what political parties used to do was all about supporting candidates. Uh, uh, you know, campaign finance reform was was anything but because um, what it's done is really kind of destroy parties as the maker of candidates. It's so much I- issue groups and uh, 527s uh, as commonly known, but, but really because you cannot give large amounts of money to any candidate or even to a party now, um, it, it's, it's a function of who can raise money in their independent expenditure committee, uh, who can get the backing, and, and, and then go the, go the course. Um, I don't know. I'm just thinking out loud here that if a so-called unaffiliated candidate could get the kind of money uh, even in a partisan race, could get the kind of money uh, backing them that partisan candidates do today. Uh, you might, you might have a uh, a chance for sort of a post-partisan world. Now, having said that, there are things about the American political system that naturally tend to drive people to a party, one or the other. Um, and, and maybe some of those things will change in the system. Whether it's good or bad, the political scientist in me, I, I have one of those degrees, um, which is why I had to go to law school. Couldn't do anything else. Um, Just you know, a simple country lawyer. Yeah, yeah, it's the <laughs> simplest. Um, you know, it's, it's an interesting thing to think about, uh, 
when things are so polarized. I mean, think about this. The Republican Party uh, arose in America uh, due to the fight and the very polarized positions of slavery versus abolition. And Republicans were the party that was a unionist party that was not an absolute abolitionist party. Um, I, I'm not saying we're going there. I just think it's interesting to think about yeah. historic cases where you have this kind of uh, division in the electorate and people keep searching and trying to find the right code. Uh, maybe we'll just nominate a Ron DeSantis, Rick Scott, or Nikki Haley, and they'll actually get nominated, and that would that would change it. So um, I, I think I'm about to get the hook here for talking the longest uh, and so eloquently, I hope, and saying the least. Or no, this is great. Yeah, you know, I mean, we can do this as long as we want. We're not tied to uh, you know anything but the imagination of the people listening. Wow. Well. <laughs> Well, nice. what else? Uh, more about the legislature, the, the session? Uh, I mean, no, I, I, I think we pretty much covered it. Yeah. Uh, I, I think this is an outstanding uh, first. should love to have your insight and knowledge. We hope that you'll be willing to come back on a regular basis and yeah. continue to visit with us. Well, I, I think, you know, you need to come weekly for therapy, but that's... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, it does seem you have issues. <laughs> nice. Um, actually, one more question before we go. Okay. As it uh, as you get ready for next year, the session, obviously, you're still recovering from this one, but knowing in six, seven months, you're going to be back at it again. Is there anything coming up that you see coming down the road next session that people might want to be aware of? Well, uh, couple of, a couple of thoughts about all of that. I I don't have like major legislative initiatives right now. Um, those kinds of things that I do, I tend to do with the Democrat co-sponsor because the realities are, uh, if I don't have one of them, I don't have enough votes. Yeah. But there are some uh, there are some important bills that that happen that are about doing good government, and believe it or not, it actually happens in the background of of all those things. But um, I think people need to realize, one, um, this issue of affordable housing is not going away. Yeah. And I don't think because 213 died that it isn't going to be back in some shape, form, or fashion next year. Um, I, I think uh, the question of uh, property taxation is going to uh, occupy everybody's minds this November. Yeah. Uh, Proposition HH, which we didn't really talk about today, but please briefly for the listeners describe yeah, that. Yeah, so um, Senate Bill three hundred three. Help me, Mark. Was, so, something yeah, like that. Yeah, one of the later Senate yeah, bills. Yeah, you know, in the last one of the last in the last week of the session was introduced and became Proposition HH, uh, which is this. Uh, property tax bill. Help me out, Mark, as to, to how it it works, because I'm yeah, it's so, late in the day. So. Th yeah, this is my understanding of the way uh, HH works. It, it's basically asking for a new um, mechanism to refund Tabor dollars. And it's kind of being written in such a way that makes it sound like, well, if you don't vote for this, you're not going to get those Tabor dollars yeah. back. So it's property tax relief. Uh, and limitation. But when the state does that, one of the things you have to always understand when the state says, okay, we're going to limit property taxes, revenues, local governments go, what? What are you doing to me? Well, And so the way they make it up and the way they're going to make it up to, to local governments is to say, you know some of that Tabor refund you were going to get? We're going to use that to backfill the losses to local governments. And so your Tabor refund, it, you know, the bill's really sleight of hand. It's a shell game. Yeah. But, but they're using Tabor refund money to— well, Sure, but it, but it also does this. You know, you get that refund based on how much you pay in property taxes. And that, that's a, a, a big part of it. So if you have—if uh, you pay a lot in property taxes— you get more back than if you pay a little bit in property taxes. And one of the things that HH purports to do 
is to equalize that out. So if you pay a lot in property taxes, you're going to get the exact same amount as the person who pays a little bit in property taxes. So, so the the uh, the companion bill, if you will, uh, HB 1311, which was introduced even later. Um, <laughs> like literally one of the last bills, you know, with only a couple of days left. Literally. And, and it got introduced. We can talk some other day about it takes three days to pass a bill in Colorado. On the evening of the fourth day prior to the end of session, 1311 was introduced. And 1311 um, was was a uh, new mechanism for refunding Tabor funds as well, which doesn't go into effect unless the voters pass HH. And the way that it works is instead of giving back money uh, to people based on what is the default right now, the more... Uh, income tax you pay, the more income tax uh, Tabor refund you would receive. It equalizes it across the board, which is, by the way, what was done last year. And we put we tried to put amendments on there that said, you know, uh, in effect, they said it in an indirect way. The governor can't be using tax money to tell everybody, congratulations, I'm sending you a check. <laughs> you know, I'm such a good guy. And that was voted. Believe me, those amendments were rejected out of hand. We, um, because government likes to give you your money back and tell you that you need to be grateful for it. And, <laughs> well, that, that's, and, and these guys have railed against Tabor. In the past, and this is the mechanism that's requiring yeah. the money to be given back. Well, yeah. I, it, you have to grudgingly admire them. You don't have to like it, but I think you have to have grudging admiration for the political sleight of hand of, we hate Tabor, we've got to give this money back. Let's make it a win-win. We'll give you your money back and we'll make it look like we're doing you a favor. <laughs> um, you know, with that... Uh, I, I don't think there's much else to say well, about this legislative session. It, that pretty well characterizes it all. It, we're it, gonna we're gonna help you with your money. Uh, we're we're gonna give you a break, and you're gonna thank us for it. And by the way, my hand is in your pocket. So. Well, and in, and in fairness, you know the governor's only other option was to say. Hey, and thank Doug Bruce for getting this money back, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this yeah. Blast from the past. If we didn't yeah. say and thank Doug Bruce. That's right. Uh, so, well, I think that's episode one. It's in the can. Yeah. Thank well, you so much. Well, thank you. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah. We look forward to having you back again, and maybe as we get closer to the next session or in the middle of the session, well, if you want a break to have some fun. Well, I think since we can do it remote, I think it would just be really fascinating. I mean, maybe it's just because I, I work there, but, you know, about two or three weeks into the session, just do a what's going on here and who said what to whom when it's fresh on my mind. That'd be a lot of fun. Yeah. We'll do it. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Hey, thanks a lot, Bob. So we got the first issue or first episode in the can, I would say. And um, I thought that was great. I always enjoy talking to Bob. And so it was nice of him to come on and be our first guest. Well, I, you know, without a doubt, Bob's, uh, you know, consistently voted one of the smartest guys in the state legislature. That's for sure. And I'm not just saying that because he's still here uh, watching <laughs> us talk about this. But no, that's uh, seriously the truth. Um, and, you know, it, it kind of thought initially like, wow, where can we go from here? You know, we've got this. Guy's super smart, but but it's going to be easy. Uh, we'll be able to find many more delightful people uh, to come on the show, without a doubt. So I'm looking forward to two, three, and in, into the future. Yeah, I, I think it's going to be good. I you know I think we have lots of opportunities here for bringing issues forward that people here in the Pikes Peak region should be aware of. They might not be at the time they hear this. Hopefully, we'll be bringing some issues to light that people don't know a lot about but should. And uh, yeah, so I'm really looking forward to it. Hopefully we'll be able to, you know, the, the president's here. I tried to get him to come on, um, but he told me no. So, Well, interesting. When I talked to him, he actually said yes. So, oh. I mean, maybe he just doesn't know who he's talking to or what the calendar really looks like. Yep. Uh, yep. Yeah. That's so probably maybe that's, it. Yeah. Uh, probably a little bit of the issue there. Um, he has issues as well, uh, obviously. <laughs> yeah, yeah, true. That would be uh, that would be an interesting one. So, well, thanks everybody for listening to the first episode. You'll find we have issues uh, wherever you get your podcasts. We look forward to hopefully hearing from you too in the future. 
through different mechanisms, whether it's social media or a phone number or something, but um, we're going to hopefully try and make this a little bit interactive too. Yeah, I mean, you got a comment, you want to let us know how you felt we did, Uh, only if it's good. We don't want to hear any of the bad comments, that's for sure. Yeah. But, uh, you know, you got a comment, uh, please drop it on one of our social media pages. You can either uh, do it in the DMs or you can just let it out there for the world to know. But uh, you can find me uh, on Facebook, Mark Waller and Kyle Blakely and his Facebook page as well. And that'll be a great place for us to interact. Yep. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to We Have Issues. Special thanks to our producer, Ted Robertson. I'm Kyle. And I'm Mark. And boy, you're right, we have issues. Tune in next week for even more.